In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 5. Uh, in the first two chapters, chapter 1 and 2, from the Gospel of St. Luke, uh, St. Luke introduced his Gospel with a call to believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the announcement of Archangel Gabriel to Zechariah and then to Saint Mary, then the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. With all what happening with these events, so he introduced the gospel by proclaiming that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Then in chapter 3, repenting of sin is the first step in believing. So St. John the Baptist came preaching baptism of repentance. And in the last part of chapter 3, we see how Jesus came and be baptized from John the Baptist. And God the Father said about Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. So Jesus here is anointed when the Holy Spirit descended upon his head like a dove or consecrated or set apart as God's suffering servant through his sacrificial death that will happen uh, at the end of his life. The word Messiah means the anointed one, the chrismated one, Christ, chrismated one. And if we ask when he was chrismated, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and he was chrismated to be the king, to be the prophet with capital P, and to be, to be the uh, high priest. So he is the king of the kings. He is the prophet who revealed the love of God toward us. And he is the high priest. Then in chapter 4, we read about the temptation on the mountain. And we saw the first Adam... Adam and Eve, the sinful Adam, because of his disobedient, this disobedience, this entered into the world. But we see in chapter 4 how Jesus is completely obedient uh, son of God. And because of his obedience, he defeated Satan in every sphere of human life. Body, when he told him, change the stone into uh, bread. Mind, when he tempted him by the kingdoms of the world. And spirit, when he king, uh, tempted him with vain glory and pride, when he told him, throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple. And it's written, God will send his angels and carry you. And he defeated Satan by the word of God. So this showed his obedience to 
God the Father and the Word of God. Then, in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus started his ministry in the region of the Sea of Galilee, as we see in the last part from the uh, Gospel of St. Luke. And the Lord will continue to serve in the region of Galilee until Luke chapter 9, verse 50. One of the cities in Galilee, Galilee like a big province, one of the city is the city of Nazareth, where Jesus actually grew up and spent most of the first 30 years of his life. So when he went to his own city, he encountered unbelief and rejection to the extent they wanted actually to throw him uh, off the cliff to kill him and to get rid of him. So the Lord left Nazareth to another city also in Galilee, Capernaum, where he found belief, freedom, and he offered healing to many souls that were captives in Capernaum. Then this chapter, chapter 5, that we'll study today, first part, how he called his first disciples to follow him, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But also, we will see how his ministry provoked the unbelieving hostility of the religious leaders when he announced forgiveness of sin to the paralytic man. And the last part of chapter 5, after Levi, the tax collector, responded to his calling and followed him and became Saint Matthew, one of the four evangelists and one of the twelve uh, apostles, the Pharisees responded also in unbelief when the Lord Jesus Christ took dinner with the tax collectors and the publicans, the sinners. So the chapter outline from verse 1 to 5, Jesus calls Galilean fishermen to be his disciples. From verse 12 to 16, Jesus cleanses the leper. From 17 to 26, Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. Then from 27 to 32, the call of St. Matthew or Levi, the tax collector. And the last part from 33 to 39, the Lord Jesus Christ is questioned about fasting. Today, actually, we'll finish at verse 26. So, from verse 1 to 26 only. So, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them 
and were washing their nets. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, by now, he established fame as a great teacher. And wherever he goes, he attracts a crowd to listen to his preaching. So, if it were known that he intended speaking in public, a crowd of listeners would gather quickly around him. Whether he is preaching in synagogue, or by the lake shore, or in marketplace, or in houses, wherever he goes, he attracts crowds. St. Luke is the only evangelist who described this sea as sea Lake of Gennesaret. Lake of Gennesaret is the same the Sea of Galilee, is the same like the Sea of Tiberias or the Lake of Tiberias. All these are different names for the same sea or lake. Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, or Lake of Tiberias. Gennesaret was a small city situated on the borders of Galilee and the city of Tiberias lays on the west, western shore of it. Also, in the book of Numbers, chapter 34 and verse 11, we read about sea or lake under the name of Chinareth. Uh, it's the same Sea of Galilee. So now we know different names. Sea of Galilee, Tiberias, Gennesaret, or Shinoreth. All these are different names to the same sea or the same lake. Uh, John called it Tiberias in John chapter 6, verse 1. And it was the practice of the Galilean fishermen to fish at night and then to return to the shore at sunrise to unload the catch and to restore their nets. Verse 3, Then he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So, the Lord Jesus Christ asked Simon for the use of his boat as a platform from which to address the large crowd. In chapter 4, we read about how he healed Simon's mother-in-law, chapter 4. So there was some connection and dealing, communication between the Lord Jesus Christ and between Simon, Peter, and his family. In the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 1, from verse 16 to 20, St. Mark provided the information that Simon and his brother Andrew were in the fishing business and were partners with Zebedee and his sons James and John. So the people, the crowd, 
pressed so much upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the land. Why? Because they were so eager to hear the doctrine of life, to hear his teaching. So he couldn't conveniently speak to them. So he was obliged to get into one of the boats. Having pushed a little out from the land, he taught them. And as was his custom, he used actually to sit down to teach as a sign of authority. Verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So after his teaching, knowing that the fishermen had caught nothing the night before, so the Lord Jesus Christ told them to lower their nets into the water. And those fishermen did not realize that their failure of catching any fish the last night was actually with God's permission for the sake of their eternal and earthly success. So sometimes God may allow a temporary failure in order actually to experience his hand with us and this will be a leap of faith in our spiritual life. And actually, if anybody else give them this advice to lower their nets for a catch, if it came from any ordinary person, the fishermen would have considered it offensive to their self-respect. They are experienced people. So they toiled all night, all night. And it is very unlikely, according to their experience, to catch any fish right now. But Peter was willing to trust the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to your word, I will cast the net for catch and to make the trial. As I told you in chapter 4, we read about the healing of his mother-in-law. So Peter now knows he is not speaking with a regular man or just an eloquent teacher. No, he's speaking with some divine power in this person. So they were experienced fishermen and new fishing was much better at night time and is almost non-existent at midday. They also knew that fishing is at shallow waters and not in the deep. But here Simon leaves completely his human experience to the experience of faith in the active word of God. According to your word, I will cast down the net. So this was a remarkable instance of faith. St. Ambrose 
goes on to declare that Simon Peter's struggle all night long and yet fruitlessly represent him who preaches eloquently in human wisdom and in human power, mere philosophy, and he will not catch anything. Because the people of God should preach in the power of the Spirit, not in the power of human wisdom and philosophy. And to their surprise, as we read in verse 6, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. So the amount of fish they caught was so much beyond what was ever known to them. The net was breaking, which is strange because they did not lose their catch. Yes, the net was breaking, but they did not lose anything. And so many fish were caught to the extent that they called the other boat to help with the catch. The catch was too much to fill only one boat. And another evidence that the great, the, the fish they caught was very uh, big number, huge number, that they filled both the ships. And both of them were overloaded to the extent that both boats began to sink. What a great quantity of fish must there be to load or to overload both boats. In the same way, if we all are readily obey the Lord, we will be blessed in the same manner. Sincerely the Great comments on this tremendously big catch saying, their nets were filled with fish miraculously. This is to make the disciples confident that their preaching mission will not to be in vain when casting their nets on the unbelievers and lost people. But notice the inability of Simon and his colleagues in pulling the net. They stood in fear and shook silently. They waved to, to their brethren on the shore asking them for help. This means there were many who helped the saintly apostles in their field of missionary work. So St. Cyril said, as they couldn't pull, uh, pull the, the, the net by themselves and signal to their partners, in the same way, in, in missionary work, in ministry in general, we need to support one another to work as a team, not to work as individuals. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So Peter at the beginning of the day, he heard the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And definitely the teaching of the Lord was very deep and piercing to the heart of Peter. So the conviction of sin started in his heart at the time of teaching. But now after he saw this miracle of catching so great number of fish, he fell down at the knees of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because now he saw the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He worshipped him in amazement, wonder and gratitude. He felt the presence of some divine power. He prostrated himself to earth, trembling and afraid. This reminds us with the same reaction of Isaiah when he came in the presence of the divine in Isaiah chapter 6 from verse 1 to 10. Then Peter, not knowing what to say, he said to the Lord, depart from me. This is an expression of humility, unworthiness. He felt unworthy to have Christ in his boat. So this was a result of being convinced that Jesus is not just a regular human being. He is a messenger from God. He is holy being. And Peter felt he is very unworthy to be in the presence of this Holy One. He recognized the vast difference between his human condition as a sinner and the righteousness of the Holy One of God. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. John and James were in the other boat, and Peter and Andrew in the first boat. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. When Peter was trembling and prostrating in, in, in fear, as the custom of our Lord Jesus Christ told him, do not be afraid. This word actually repeated several times in the scripture. Isaiah, when he realized that he is in the divine presence, the same word were uttered to him. To Daniel in chapter 10 verse 12. And several times during the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the last time was actually after his ascension. Uh, or just before his ascension. Uh, when he told the, the Lord, he told Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fisher of men. From now on, emphasize the end of Simon's old life and beginning 
of a new life as an apostle and a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, and he took the name Peter from the Lord Jesus Christ. In his commissioning, the Lord Jesus told Simon that the miracle of fish catch will be surpassed by Simon's catch of the lives of men and women for Christ's kingdom. Do you remember the first sermon after Pentecost? How many souls he caught by his net? 3,000. 3,000 in one sermon on the day of Pentecost. So this night of unproductive human work will be replaced by the fruitful work in proclaiming the word under the Lord's authority. Also, fishers of men is a prophetic symbol for proclaiming the gospel, the good news of salvation to everyone in the world. Simon's brother, Andrew, he's not named here, but was mentioned in Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18, and their partners, James, John, the sons of Zebedee, will now become partners in proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these four persons left all and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the beginning of Jesus' community of believers. The fishermen made the same choice Jesus asked each one of us to make. To be willing to leave everything and all things in our earthly life behind to follow him. Verse 12. Now it happened when he was in a certain city that behold a man who was full of leprosy. St. Luke was a physician, so sometimes in describing diseases, he is very accurate as a physician. Was full of leprosy, which means the disease ate most of his flesh. So Jesus, and definitely heard about Jesus. So, and he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What a statement of faith. Then he put out, Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. So, from the scene in the boat on the lake with the fishermen, now St. Luke is taking us to another memorable incident which took place probably soon after. Why memorable? Because it is the first recorded instance of Jesus' contact with that very terrible earthly disease, leprosy. Very contagious disease. And lethal, fatal disease, illness. And this precise description, medical term, medical term, is peculiar and characteristic of St. Luke. When he said, full of, 
implies the rapid development and horror of the disease. So this disease is spread in all his flesh. Also when he said the man was falling on his face in prostration to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he told him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is a very strong and confidence and deep humility. If you are willing, then actually he's not demanding. As if he said, according to your will. I know my faith is you can make me clean, but I am leaving this decision to your will, if you are willing. We know from Leviticus chapter 13, verse 46, and Numbers chapter 5, verse 2, that the, you cannot touch man with leprosy. This will make you unclean, not only medically, but ceremonial. That's why any man with leprosy used to cry, leper, leper. So the people actually will stay away from him. So touching the leper was distinct and clear violation of the letter of the commandment. But not, of course, violation of the spirit of the mosaic, mosaic law. Uh, and in order to prevent the accidental violation of this law, lepers, until the final stage of disease, were then secluded from all living contact with others. According to Saint Ambrose, but Jesus, because he is the Lord of the law, does not obey the law, but makes the law. He is not under the law because he is the maker of the law. He is God, he is the one who gave the law. But let us think why he touched the leper. This man was not only suffering from physical illness, but also he was suffering from psychological abandonment. Can you imagine for so many years People stayed away from him, not talking to him, not touching him. So the Lord here wants also to give him healing to his spirit and soul, not only to his body. By touching him, he is telling him, you are accepted, you are loved. Also, uh, by touching the leper, yet remaining clean, he did not get infected by this illness. So this is a symbol how he took his, our humanity upon him, but yet remaining undefiled. As we say in St. Gregory liturgy, he resembled us in everything except for sin alone. And immediately after this touch, the leprosy left him. The Lord was not polluted by the touch, but the leper was cleansed.
verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So this man did not obey. He went and made a report how the Lord healed him. So many people came around the Lord Jesus Christ, which hindered in a way his ministry there. That's why so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So why did the Lord Jesus tell the cleansed clipper not to tell anyone, but to go and show himself to a priest? Uh, number one, as St. Matthew explained in Matthew chapter 12 from verse 15 to 50, the Lord Jesus Christ did not wish his ministry to be accompanied by excitement and trouble from the religious leaders of the Jews. His hour did not yet come. That's why he wanted to build the kingdom of God. This was the first year of his ministry. So he didn't want trouble from the first year of ministry. And also second reason, he came not merely and not mainly to be a great physician and wonder worker, but he came to save our souls by his revelation, his example, and his death. Another reason, he wanted the man to be able to be readmitted to the community according to the law of Moses, which requires a priest to pronounce the man ritually clean and therefore now have admittance to the temple sacrifice. That's why he told him, go and show yourself to the priest. Also, it's evident now that the wish of our Lord Jesus Christ and his command was neglected. Maybe because feeling of gratitude. So this man went and told everybody. And what was the result of this? That his work of teaching was hindered by crowd who restored to him to be healed because he perceived him just as a physician with extraordinary power. But as we said, he had greater and more important mission before him than to just relieve the suffering from their physical illness. So he withdrew himself and spent short time in solitude and prayer. And the addition was praying. It is very peculiar to St. Luke in his gospel. So St. Luke in his gospel stressed the fact 
or this feature in our Lord's life that he spent time in prayer. And many parables about prayers are written in the Gospel of St. Luke. Verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee. Until now, his ministry in Galilee. Just to remind you the geography, uh, Israel was divided into three parts. In the south, Judea. In the north, Galilee. In the middle, Samaria. So the Lord was still preaching in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, city of Capernaum, Ganesaret, all these are in Galilee. So people came out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So some people come from Judea, travel to the north. Some people from Jerusalem, travel to the north. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So, again, the fame of the new teacher had spread rapidly. One day, after he healed the leper, the master was sitting in a house in Capernaum. And as usual, he was teaching. So, this time, a different group of people actually gathered around him. Not the fishermen or the traders of uh, Capernaum, this lake city. But there were prominent religious leaders who came from Jerusalem and Judea. So they were not from Galilee. And some from other Judean cities like Hebron and teachers of the law. So this was a different audience not the simple people of Galilee. Some of them came out of curiosity, some because of higher motives to hear for themselves teaching of this new uh, famous uh, Nazarene carpenter. And until now, we cannot say they were motivated by jealous malignity of some religious leaders, like at the end of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, at the end of the three years of his ministry. And the house was packed within, and the crowd pressed around the doors. So uh, the, nobody can actually enter from the doors because it's packed. Verse 18, then behold, men brought on a bed, on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they cannot actually enter from the door. They went up on the house top, and you can imagine carrying the bed with the man 
on the housetop. It was not easy. Uh, and let him down with his bed through the tiling. They removed some tiles and they were able to let the man with the bed into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, faith cannot be seen. But what did he see? Their work. So, as St. James said, show me your faith by your work. So, how the Lord here was able to see their faith? Faith cannot be seen. But when he saw their work, he saw their faith. He said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. So, uh, we read that the power of the Lord was present to heal. Definitely, whenever the Lord Jesus Christ is present, the power of the Lord was present to heal. But sometimes the Lord did not do any miracle. So, there were some time in which there is a great demonstration and reception of God's healing work than other times. Because there were times when Jesus didn't do any miracle because of the general unbelief of the audience. As we read in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, he did not perform any miracle because their lack of belief. So, this man the paralytic man was so weak by the disease, not able to walk, not even to be carried without the bed by any other. So the only way to be carried by his bed. And they sought to bring him through the door, but they were hindered by the crowd. They had great determination. So they removed the tiles of the roof and lowered down their friend into Jesus' presence. This persistency implied faith, faith in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to heal, faith in the man and faith in his friends. Uh, and by the way, this is the first use of the word faith in the Gospel of St. Luke. So the Lord, seeing the faith of both the paralytic man and of the men, the Lord spoke this uh, substantial word to give comfort and peace to the suffering, to this sick man. He told him, your sins are forgiven. So maybe the Lord Jesus Christ read what was in the heart of this paralytic man. Maybe this man was distressed by his sins more than his illness. And it's very possible that this illness was brought upon him because of his immoral life. We don't know, but could be. That's why the soul must be healed first, then the body. Or maybe the Lord did not mean that the paralyzed man was especially sinful. 
or his paralysis was directly caused by sin. But he addressed the greatest need of not this man only, but all of us. The common root of all pain and suffering is sin. Sin is the fountain of all sickness. Forgiveness of sin is the only foundation upon which a recovery from sickness can comfortably be built. So, here the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates his power on earth to forgive sin, and the healing of sickness was undisputable proof that he had this power to forgive sins. Also, we can see the intercession of the friends on behalf of the paralytic man. So we must not neglect active intercession with God on behalf of others. Our faith in God's mercy and grace, like the faith of these friends, can make difference in someone's life. And here the Lord Jesus Christ releases the man from his sins as he heals him. But this generated a negative reaction from the scribes and the Pharisees, as we read in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So, uh, of course, to the, the answer to their question, Who is this man or who can forgive sins but God alone? That Jesus, to answer their question, yes, Jesus indeed is God. And this is a revelation. God became man to heal us not only from physical illness, but mainly to heal the humanity from sin and corruption. They accused him of speaking blasphemies. Blasphemy means abusive or condescending language directed toward God or claiming that a person is God. And according to Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, blasphemy was punishable by death. And by the way, this was the charge by which the Lord Jesus Christ was condemned during his trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, before his crucifixion. Who are the Pharisees and the scribes? Pharisees, the word Pharisee means separated one, because they separated themselves from everything they thought it is unholy or unclean. And also they thought that everyone was separated from the love of God except themselves. And they practiced a very strict interpretation and literal interpretation of the law of Moses. The scribes were teachers. They wrote the, the scripture. So they wrote means uh, typed. 
not the author. A teacher of the law, and many of whom were Pharisees also. And this incident is the beginning of their hostility to the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry. And this controversy with the Pharisees is mentioned four times in, in, in this chapter, in verse 20, 21, 23, 24, as we will read. They confronted the Lord Jesus Christ three times, challenging the legitimacy of his ministry. And there is no doubt in this passage that in declaring the man's sin are forgiven, that Jesus is claiming divine authority. He is revealing himself as God. Verse 22, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk. So, We can see in his answer in verse 22, a fulfillment of the prophecy that Simeon the elder prophesied, and we read it in Luke chapter 2, verse 34. It says, this child, Jesus, when he, they presented him to the temple when he is 40 days old, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, fall of the religious leaders, and rising of these simple fishermen to be fishers of men. And for a sign, the sign of the cross, which will be spoken against, that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So the Lord knew their thoughts and what they were reasoning in their hearts. Jesus recognized their opposition, not only by their words, but by reading their minds and hearts. And here we can see the Pharisees are in dilemma. How? By forgiving sins, there are two possibilities. Either Jesus is blaspheming as a man who is claiming to be God, or he is speaking the truth and he is revealing himself as the divine Redeemer, the Messiah, God who became man. So they chose to accuse Jesus of blasphemy, as a blasphemer. Uh, no man can forgive sins and can heal disease like paralysis. Even nowadays, with the advancement in medicine, paralysis is one of the difficult diseases to be completely cured. Uh, but for God, actually, these two things are very easy, to forgive sins and to uh, heal person from paralysis. So it is a logical assumption that if Jesus has the power to heal the man's illness, paralysis, then he has authority to forgive his sins. 
And when he told them which is easier, to, to say to the man, your sins are forgiven, or to tell him, uh, rise up, carry your bed, and walk. There are two ways to understand this question. The first way, it is harder to heal a man than to forgive sins. Because forgiveness is invisible. No one could verify at the moment that this man is forgiven before God. That's why in their heart and their mind they said, any man can say your sins are forgiven. How can we know? Forgiveness is invisible. But there is another way to understand this word. Actually, when the Lord healed this man from his sickness, it did not cause him anything. Just one word from his mouth was able to heal this man immediately. But to be able to say, your sins are forgiven, it cost him a lot. To empty himself, to take the form of man, to obey unto death, the death of the, of the cross, to shed his blood, to suffer. That's why St. Peter said, you were purchased at a price. For healing this man from his illness did not cost the Lord anything. But our sins to be forgiven cost the, the Lord to empty himself, to shed his blood, to be tortured and tormented on our behalf. So when you hear your sins are forgiven, this word has price. So the Lord told them, which is easier for me? It's easier for me to tell him, rise up, carry your bed and walk. But I give him the thing that actually cost me more, cost me my life. I shed my blood to be able to tell him, your sins are forgiven. Also, if he is healed, he will live 60, 50, 100 years, and then he will die. And if his sins are not forgiven, then he will go to the lake of fire. But even if he is not healed, but his sins are forgiven, then he will inherit the kingdom of God. So I give him the most precious gift, forgiveness of sins. But for their doubt, the Lord told them, I, I now instantly I will verify to you that I have authority to forgive sins on the earth by healing this man. So verse 24, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he looked at this man, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. So, Jesus was willing to put himself to the test. In a way, the result would be immediate. Jesus corrected the Pharisees' criticism by telling them, 
he does the power he does have the power and authority to heal and to forgive both then he told the man to give the evidence of his spiritual and physical healing rise up and walk and this is the first time in St. Luke Gospel Jesus used the word son of man about himself why he used this usually son of son of man means a descendant of Adam just a human being but Jesus used this favorite title for himself to to express both humanity and divinity these religious leaders knew very well what's written about the Messiah in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 he will be called son of man so he is actually bringing to their mind this prophecy I am the fulfillment of this prophecy I am the Messiah and during his trial the Lord quote uh, uh, this prophecy from Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 and the Lord used this title son of man many times during his ministry it was um, because this title son of man is a messianic title free from any political or nationalistic sentiment to claim to be the Messiah in the term they could not easily be attacked because if you use the word king or Christ this actually in the ears of, uh, of the Romans will sound like an earthly king who come to defeat the Romans that's why he used the word son of man which actually is one of the title of the Messiah as I explained and I want you to imagine the tension in this scene the scribes were tense because Jesus challenged them and he said he would demonstrate that he is the son of God the paralyzed man was tense because he wondered whether Jesus would heal him or not and the crowd were tense also because they sensed the tension of everyone around them but now after hearing this word he immediately rose up being enabled to obey this command was the public proof that the man was made whole not only physically but spiritually he now carried the bed which had carried him and this the proof of his sickness became a proof the, the bed which is the proof of his sickness by carrying the bed now the bed became proof of his cure and Jesus power to heal and to have authority to forgive sins was immediately vindicated everybody glorified God the healed man was aware that only God could have have done such wonder and the same conclusion should have been made by uh, all the people except his enemies the scribes and the Pharisees verse 26 and 27 the last two verses in our Bible study tonight and they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying we have seen such uh, we have seen strange things 
today. That's actually the last verse. Uh, they were all amazed and they glorified God, but not the Pharisees, not the doctors of the law, but the common people. Amazed to see the power of God in action. Indeed, how strange it was. Almighty God should have become man. Great is the mystery of godliness. God became man, as St. Paul said to Timothy. Uh, now he is concerned with the wretched condition of the flesh and also forgiving the sins of his falling uh, children. Uh, yes, it is the strangest, most wonderful thing that has ever happened. This actually conclude our Bible study tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.